Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters, a podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. Today's guest is four-time Olympic medalist Dan Kowalski. I can see Sydney Harbour Bridge behind you. Yeah. So, it's a nice day today. Yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, oh no. We've lost you though. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, there you are. <laughs> I think that's my internet. 3G in Brisbane. 3G, yeah. 3G. Yeah. <laughs> I have had my COVID vax yet, but I've heard once you get that, you upgrade. So, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, good good stuff. So anyway, I know you're super busy, so I won't take up too much of your time, but Dan Kowalski, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today. It's such a, oh my goodness, such a privilege to have you. I'm so excited, but I'm also feeling a little bit old too. Oh, no. <laughs> to <be honest> <laughs> no, don't be silly. Not even a little bit. It's, um, I don't know. It's so nice to uh, like, not, not to do the whole, you're somebody that I looked up to when I was younger, <laughs> but you were literally somebody that I, I watched and cheered for and, you know, wanted to see do well. And, and then obviously you've continued to, to work with, with swimming in different capacities over, over your years as well. And you're just someone that I have always respected and admired, not just for what you achieved in the pool, but for who you are as a person, which is, I think, something that really, without blowing too much smoke, um, really inspired me (laughs) to be a good person because Uh, I saw uh, what you've been able to achieve and you weren't a dickhead. And I was just like, it's nice to have people like role models for me that did amazing things in the pool, but also were good outside of the pool. Well, that means a lot. Uh, it really does. So I appreciate you you blowing this smoke. <laughs> <laughs> you like stroke my ego. <laughs> we don't get it anymore. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, I just wanted to start because I like to start the the conversation with what moment you're most proud of from your sporting career, from your swimming. What what was that moment that you? felt the most pride because I think so often it looks like gold medals or, you know, personal best times or world records or whatever it might be. But the reality is there's so much that goes on behind the scenes for every athlete that there might be smaller moments that you're the most proud of. Yeah, it's funny the way you were that most proud of. is one that is a clear sort of standout and that was winning the bronze in the 200 freestyle at the 96 Olympics because it, it, to me it just represented everything why I chose to embark on the sport from when I was that nine-year-old kid watching the LA Olympics in my lounge room. So it wasn't a gold. It was my best time. It was just fun, you know, mm. which is why I swam. And so that, so that was really special to me because I just didn't expect it. And so can you tell us a bit about the 96 Olympics for you because – I I don't know that people fully comprehend the incredible achievement that you had during that competition because you won three Olympic medals in individual races. Like you won bronze in the 200. Uh, Was it silver in the 400? Bronze. Bronze again in the 400 and then silver in the 1500. And 
I mean, to to win medals in all of those events is just such a remarkable achievement. But I also know more about the kind of conditions and events after and and those feelings that you can feel after an Olympic Games. So can you, from your perspective, just give us an account of your experiences? Yeah, 96 um, was a real roller coaster. Like I, I went in and my mindset was was one, I was just focused really on the 1500 and then everything else was going to be a bonus. So as I mentioned, winning a bronze in the China freestyle on the first night was beyond my wildest dreams and I could have stopped then. I, I lived out a childhood dream of just getting to the Olympics but then to win a medal was a bonus and then, you know, a couple of days later we had the 4 by 2 relay. We'd won Pampax the year before and we got fourth and I let off a relay in a slower time than I did in the individual and that really really got to me because, you know, team aspect and relays is really important. And I remember Laurie Lawrence really being supportive and just being Laurie and trying to get me back up. And and then I had the 400 freestyle. And this is when things kind of started to unravel for me because I had a plan. My coach gave us the race plan and that was to take off with 150 to go and I couldn't do it. You know, I just left it all in the tank for the last lap and by then, you know, Loder from New Zealand had gone, the guy from Britain, I couldn't see Paul Palmer and I got a bronze and the difference between the bronze and the 200 and the 400 were, were chalk and cheese. And, you know, uh, many years later, I was so angry at myself for being disappointed for winning a bronze medal at the Olympics. Mm. But then the 1500 comes along and that's, you know, that's the one that I, I really want and I try to make a statement in in the heat of the 1500 and fastest qualifier up until the last heat and then Kieran's in lane four and in the final heat and I'm warming down and one of the Australian coaches comes up and is like, Kieran's coming fifth, he's not going to make the final. And and then for me, I had that, you know, good angel, bad devil kind of moment, like bad devil's like, yes, I'm going to win because no one had been within Razu of the two of us and mm-hmm. he was that much further ahead of me, right? So. I was thinking that, but then I was thinking, oh, there'll always be an asterisk if a defending champion world record holder's not there. And as it turns out, he qualifies lane eight by point two. I'm in lane four. And I knew I wasn't going to win then. Like I didn't, I, mentally I was not strong enough. That's the reality of it. You know, many people recognise the physical talent, but I think at the Olympic Games is when the mental strength and fortitude shines through. And he had that in spades, in bucket loads. And that was evident the way he swam that race and won from lane eight. And I got a silver again, that horrible feeling, and then horrible feeling on myself that I felt that way and mm. perceived it that way. So it was a real roller coaster of a week. And it took me a long time to sort of be proud of be proud of that and realize that it's something that no one can ever take away from you. And that's one thing that I love about what you know you can achieve when you do things is that it's yours and no one can take it. <laughs> Gosh, there's so much that I resonate with in terms of that experience at at an Olympic Games. It's amazing how such small things can rattle you and, you know, you can have your PB performance on the first night of competition and then, you know, a less good outcome in the 4 by 2 and then all of a sudden things just start to unravel as you said because I mean it was exactly the same for me I had you know did an amazing performance in the 100 butterfly but that wasn't what I was focused on I was focused on the 100 freestyle and I wanted that gold medal and 
stuffed up my semi-final and then (laughs) shit hit the fan basically and you're not proud of it. it, You're not proud of the performance. Like I'd love to understand from your perspective what it was that you were disappointed with because for me it was knowing that I didn't put together my best race and knowing that there was something missing and not knowing what that was and all the what ifs, you know, what if this went slightly different or what if that went slightly different for you? Maybe what if Kieran never made the final? Like, would that have put you in a better mindset? Like what, what was it that you were disappointed about? Physically every, I had, I could not have prepared any better um, in that real, that period, the two, two sort of training blocks before the game. So, I mean, to give you an idea from a swimming perspective in training, about six weeks before, I went 15-15 in training. And then I went 15-02 in the Olympic final, shaved, tapered, ready to go. So physically I was there. But just mentally, you know, I had to force myself to say things that I didn't believe. I never believed that I could win it, but I was pretending to say it because that's what you have to do, right? But despite all the work that I did physically, mentally I didn't prepare the same way. And that was evident in the results. Do you wish you could have prepared? I mean, I, I, it's all conjecture. Like, who's to know what you would have done or would have achieved if, you know, things would have been different? But do you wish you could have gone back in time and, you know, prepared differently? Or is it one of those things that you kind of, those experiences and those um, moments create who you are now? Exactly. Right. I think that last part is is 100% true. It's It's helped shape who I am. But you know, the more I've been removed and the more I've thought about it over the years, it's made me realise I, I just wasn't that type of person. Mm. You know, I, ne- I never hated any of my rivals. I had the most admiration and respect for, for them, and, and in particular, Kieran and then, you know, Grant and Ian and Michael, you know, fellow countrymen, but my big rivals. But there was there was never this internal anger or drive towards, like, attacking the race and stuff. It just... And I think maybe if I had have worked closely with a, a psychologist and realised the importance of it, but for me it was just like, oh, well, I've just got to swim and it's physically it's all, all, all that it's about. But as I said a couple of times already, it, uh, you get to that point and if you don't have it mentally, it doesn't matter how well physically you're prepared, it's almost irrelevant in many cases. So when it came time to retire, what was that process like for you? How did you know it was time to sort of hang up the speedos, so to speak? Yeah, it was super easy for me. I mean, I my shoulders were at a point where I, my neck, I was starting to lose feeling in my mouth. mouth. Um, everything was was really telling me I needed to physically stop because I'd had four shoulder reconstructions wow. so much cortisone um and that that's not healthy and it's funny how I was actually at the physio this morning and I was talking about this very thing there have been moments in more recent times where I've questioned was it worth pushing myself to the point that I did because my quality of life today is not great it's not what I would like it to be as you know as you know you just kilometer after kilometer after kilometer it's it's your body's not really designed to do that Mm. if you're a certain way a certain way and clearly for me that was the case so it was basically injury or just your body kind of packing up shop (laughs) that kind of pushed you to that point yeah and I mean Ian was around Graham was around Michael was around 
I wasn't I wasn't as good as them, mm. and I'd come to terms with that. I was fine with that, but I, you know, I just didn't feel like I was going to be able to be satisfied with just being a relay alternate swimmer. Yeah, after having swum multiple individual events and multiple international events, so not that there's anything wrong with that, but I did it in Sydney and. I'd experienced it to, enough to know that that's not me. And so unless I could qualify for an individual event, then I didn't really want to do it. But it was more of the, the body said, nah, pack yeah. it in. Yeah, again, I resonate so much because I had the same experience in London. I was a relay alternate. Right. And then I was like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll come back and, you know, do really well, but then, you know, the bloody Campbell sisters came along and then, you know, Emma McKeon and all of these amazing athletes. And you're like, yeah. I probably can't mix it yeah. with those guys now. It's a really big blow to the ego, though. <laughs> yeah, but you should flip it and go, it's because of you that they're there. Obviously. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I remember you, Jodie, Alice, that year of 2003, 4, 5. Like, for me, that was incredible. And I look at what's happened in the real life in London and then Rio and then but that all stemmed. You look at their ages and that stemmed from them watching you and it was the same for me watching Kieran and, mm. and Glenn Houseman. I was like, well, I want to be like that. So flip it and pump your ego that Yeah, way. that's <laughs> it. Exactly. It's totally because of us. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I will run with that. Um, so when you did decide to retire, like how did you navigate that? Like how did you, did you have something that you were working towards? Were you studying or working or how did you, like, did you have something that you were going to retire to, as they say? Yeah. So my, um, my parents were very strong in that I needed to, you know, have some form of fallback. Um, so I started at Bond Uni and then did a quite typical thing and had eight to nine years off. And <laughs> it was in my yep. life. It was in my last couple of years when I was like, I need to get through this degree. And then it was literally in my last few months when I'm like, ah, I've never even had work experience. Yeah. And so I put it out there and ended up doing an internship and then got a part-time job at the Brisbane Lions as I finished my degree. And so you know, that all sort of happened as I retired and in my last, in my first sort of year in retirement, I'd seen enough people around, I'd heard enough to know that I needed to have something. Mm. And also I didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve. For me, that was a gold medal. So mm. I don't know what this is like because I never won a gold medal individually, but I still had a hunger and a drive to do something. And mm. I'm not saying if you win a gold medal, you lose that, but I still had it in all aspects of my life. Mm. Did you find that good to have that kind of hunger or did you find it because I I just know that like with my experience, like that drive and that intensity can be quite detrimental to my mental health from time to time. And I just wonder, like it's good to have the drive, it's good to have passion and purpose and all those things, but then there's a point that it does tip over into negative did you find that or did you find you kind of hit the ground running having this this role with the Brisbane Lions and kind of you know that drive and intensity still a bit of both like don't get me wrong I would have loved to to have won an individual gold medal but yeah not having not having done that there was still that fire to win an equivalent of a gold medal in something Mm. 
But then also this is going to sound really stupid because you lived in an era where a lot of your teammates were individual gold medalists as well. Mm. And so you go into a room and I may have won, you know, some silver and bronze medals and in, in some rooms that would be an, an amazing thing. But surrounded by your teammates who won multiple gold medals <laughs> and multiple, multiple world records and you're almost like that loser in the corner mentality, you know. Like yes. You didn't, you didn't quite get there. And I don't mean that in a disparaging or negative or no, disrespectful but, way, but it was just like, oh, hi. No, but there's, but it, it's totally something that happens because I think, you know, I look at what you did and you won three individual Olympic medals. Like, sure, I understand that they weren't gold, but to me, individual gold medals were the benchmark and, you know, relays were whatever. And it, it's such a negative mindset to to be in it, like to win an Olympic gold medal as a relay athlete, which I've gotten to do twice, they're now some of my favourite memories. But when you're in that mindset of an, a, a swimmer and an athlete and the benchmark is an individual gold medal and you kind of are constantly compete. And I still do it now. Like I still find myself falling into that mindset and it's just, yeah, it's not productive, I don't think. But No, it's, it's not healthy. But I think that is that mindset is how you got to that place in the first first instance. So it's the trade-off, right? It's Mm. finding that balance. It takes some of us a lot longer than others to find a balance, or some don't even need to find a balance at all. Mm. So how did you how did you find that transition then, like into into the real world? Oh, sweet! (laughs) You're fine. (laughs) You're like I just swooned in, and it was easy. No, no, it wasn't easy um, by any means. But what I, I, I was just very aware that similar to my swimming career, I'm not just going to walk in and I'm going to be given the corner office and the CEO under my title. Mm. I'm going to have to work my way up just exactly like I did in the swimming world. But then I came to realise very early on, I don't know if I want to work my way up because that doesn't look like fun. Yeah. <laughs> yes, totally. So how did you find your, your next passion? Because that's something that I think uh, a lot of athletes miss when they, they finish their sport is for a lot of athletes, they have been doing this their whole lives and they've worked towards the, these pinnacles and these goals. And then all of a sudden, even when they have, you know, studied or ha- have some work opportunities, the, the passion sort of wanes a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's hard to replicate, isn't it, when you've done something like represent your country and then even if you get to go to the Olympics and stand on a podium is, you know, even more of an experience um, in a lot of cases. But for me, I was always really, I don't know, it sounds a bit weird, but I was always more concerned about how my teammates were and how they were feeling. Um, so I, I, there's a lot of empathy and I really cared about how they were doing as as a person probably more than they were as a performer, as an athlete. So I really gravitated towards that well-being space and really got stuck into that because I felt and I still feel as though we place such an emphasis on medals and coming first and medal Mm. tallies that some people go and they represent their country and they do their best time or they go further and around than they ever have before. And it, the first question asked is, did you win a medal? Yes. And um, it wasn't about for them necessarily winning a medal. It was about the, the performance and the experience. And straight away they're made to feel like crap because mm. they didn't win a medal. And I thought, this isn't, this isn't right. These people need to be celebrated. They need to be 
respected and I've admired for what they've achieved. And that's why I've sort of stayed involved in sport and working in that area because I, I recognise what it takes to get there. Um, I don't like to use the word sacrifice. I see them as choices that mm. people have made to get to that point. And that needs to be celebrated. So if I can be in a role where I can celebrate their performance and help them recognise it as something they can be proud of and then assist them with transitioning on, then I'm all for it. I've been really tussling with this idea for a long time because I've wondered whether that desire to prove people wrong or that kind of internal belief that the things that I'm doing is is not enough. Like I need to do more and and prove and achieve to to prove my worth somehow in the world. And I wonder if you have seen that with your work with athletes and whether you think that is kind of something that's almost intrinsic to the ability to achieve at that highest level or whether one day, I hope, we'll get to a point where people can be like, I'm really good at what I do and I'm just going to go out there and do my best and then kick ass. You know, <laughs> like I wonder if we can ever get to that point mentally for athletes. I think it's kind of depends on where where you live and what you do. What, one of the things that drove me to sport is in this country, the history and the tradition that has come before you is phenomenal and you want to uphold that. But with that comes the responsibility of holding up the values and the tradition of those who came before you. So finding that balance of, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to do my best as opposed to, well, there was a golden era in the 50s and 60s and there was a golden era in the late 90s and early 2000s. You need to maintain those standards. Mm. And the reality is it's not realistic. So I think, again, finding that happy medium, finding that balance in, in the middle and being able to honestly say, I'm going there to do my best and people to genuinely believe that, I think it's going to take <laughs> probably a couple more generations. Maybe yeah. your, your daughters and that's what it's going to be like for them. But I don't think it should be an excuse for wanting people to perform and perform well, though, if that makes sense. Yeah. because like, It cause- can't be a cop-out. Yes, and because that, that's that's the that's the thing, right? Like it's you want to be like, yeah, good job, you've done your best, but you also don't want them to wimp out, <laughs> like not try. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a it's a weird kind of tussle. I feel, and you, you live it. You've got young kids. Um, I don't know if they are in an environment where everyone gets a participation ribbon and there's no distinguishing between first, second, third and last. Yeah, no, I literally happened this morning that like I've never said to them once that I want them to win or, you know, they need to get a ribbon or they need to do whatever, but they are, it seems, genetically driven to want to win and win ribbons and and that's what sort of motivates them and when that doesn't happen both of them were in tears because it didn't happen that because we're not land-based mammals but (laughs) that's another story um but they were devastated right like and yeah I and I I don't want them to have experiences of participation trophies and all those sorts of things because I don't think that's real life 99% of people don't win every day or anytime and it's like how do you balance the joy and the experience of trying your best and then celebrate other people as well when they do when they do well yeah and that was I guess the point that I was getting to is 
relating it to real life and you, you you apply to go to university and there's a limited number of spots so you try and get a job and you get down to the last two <gasps> well done you participated really well and <laughs> good job you <laughs> yeah but you didn't get it what do you mean I didn't get it my whole life I've been given a ribbon for something and yes I don't I don't understand this so for me that's one of the things that I struggle with today mm. is that and I don't even know how we got to this point yeah I like it yeah, yeah, it's really, yeah, it's really interesting. I find it so fascinating with the mindset that we've come from from elite sport to wanting to make people feel good about themselves, but still striving to be better. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's how you should live every day, I reckon. And so you kind of retired from sport and have gone into this athlete wellbeing space. What do you hope to achieve with your your roles that you take on now? Because I know that you've worked with Beyond Blue in the past. You're very passionate um, about mental health. What, what are you hoping to, to see in the future, I guess? I think getting to a point where, you know, sporting organisations from the top down and then coaches and athletes all collectively recognising that in order to – the pathway is one of balance. Um, and we could always be preparing for your next your next transition, your next career, and not this all eggs in one basket approach and then coming out of the other side. And, you know, some people are going to have problems and they're going to be predisposed to different things, but I don't want sport to be the contributor to or the magnifier of some of these because if we can find that balance and talk about it um, and normalise it, for me, that's I, I feel like part of my job would be done. Why do you feel passionately about talking about mental health and normalising those conversations? So, like, why, especially in the the sports space, because I, I I'm still trying to understand that line between the not enough mentality that I had and the the ability to then go on and achieve at the highest level in my sport. I feel like that was kind of almost important for me to have that feeling because that's what drove me to to continue to train and achieve on that level. But surely that drive that you have and that mentality was not just because you're a swimmer, an elite swimmer. That is in you. That's you. So when you're swimming, you had it, but now that you're not swimming, you still don't not have that. You still have that. Yes, to a, to a lesser extent because you kind of have to moderate the, the old ego because you're not as good as you once were at something. Yeah. <laughs> I totally, yeah, totally get it. So from my point of view, it's like, well, this is who I am and I, I've accepted who I am and my identity is more than just medals that I won. And so I just think it's important to be open and honest and transparent about that because I feel like if I had seen more of that or been privy or experienced it, then I may have been easier on myself in certain mm. aspects of my life. So it's just, it really simply put, it's just a giving back element, I think. Yeah. How long did it take you to navigate that roller coaster of, um, disappointment after the 1500 in 96 how long did that take to kind of work through uh 10 years probably yeah to to, to get to the point of hand on heart I'm really proud of 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 what I achieved and it it would have been around that 10 year anniversary to be honest with you and I I still 
you know, I, every 26th of July every year, I I celebrate that day now. And for a, a number of years, like Kieran and I, like, I would always text him happy anniversary. And oh, he, that's so sweet. <laughs> bless him. He would be like, what? <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> <laughs> because it's, you know, it's just different for each, each person. But mm. um, so, and the more 26th of July came around, years removed, the, the prouder I, I, I get, you know. And, and now I'm really proud of it and shout it from the rooftops kind of thing. But, but yeah, those first particularly four or five years were horrible. Mm. Did, was there a moment that kind of made you realise that you should be proud of it or it was just sort of the passage of time? Um, I, I mean, I, I realise now that I should have always been proud oh, of it. absolutely, it really was, yeah. It really was the, the passage of time. And then I think when you remove yourself from it on a day-to-day, six, seven-hour perspective, you, you start to get some um, real-life perspective and real-life experience and it, you celebrate the tiniest of wins. Like mm. I went to work today and I didn't break the printer, you know. <laughs> so if I'm celebrating that, why am I not celebrating the fact that I went to the Olympic Games, stood on a podium and won a freaking medal? Like, you need to celebrate it. But we're so ingrained, a lot of people are ingrained to see that as a failure just because of what drives you, I guess, to a certain extent. So for me, I'm like, well, if I'm celebrating a printer not breaking, then I, I need to celebrate what I achieved. So, but, you know, experience and perspective is, and, and hindsight are Incredible things. Yeah, absolutely. I remember going to trials. It must have been 2016 trials. Um, I just had my first baby and I was watching everyone getting ready to race and swimming up and down. And I just couldn't believe that I did that. <laughs> like, I mean, I couldn't believe that I'd had a baby at that point also, but uh, like to, to know that you train so many hours, you know, week in, week out, day in and day out. I mean, and the workload that you as a distance swimmer, um, middle to distance swimmer did, like I can't even imagine. Like do you look back on that time and just go, how the hell did I do that? I do because I try to swim two times, maybe three times a week and 3K is, is my absolute limit and I'm like, oh, some of Dennis's workouts, that was the warm-up, you know. Yes, so exactly. I, I do, I do, I often do think that. But, see, I loved training. Mm. I absolutely loved training. Racing for me was like, yeah, that's scary. Yeah, and I think that's something that put, people don't understand, that some athletes love training. And some people love racing and tolerate training. Like I was a, I was, I was a tolerator of training. Like racing was my jam. That's what I loved. That's what drove me every single day. And I just knew that it was a means to that end. Whereas you mm. loved the training, it seems. <laughs> I, I was always, I, I mean, I trained, and I hope they don't mind me saying this, but they probably agree. I t- training alongside Patria Thomas at one point and then Gian Rooney at another. They both hated training, mm. you know, but when that time came to race, they were just like animals. Yeah. And for me, I was like, I can't do that. Like, <laughs> it's not for me. <laughs> no. <laughs> horrible. That's so interesting. But it wasn't always like, it wasn't always like that though. Yeah. But just as your pr- career progressed, you found? I, yeah, I found it stressful. How did that present for you? Like you just were, you know, wanting to vomit, nervous poos. Like, 
Um, <laughs> Did no, you have nervous poos, Dan Kowalski? <laughs> no. I, I, no, we don't need to go into what my boundaries <laughs> are. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, so just going back to the the silver in the 1500, it, what would your advice be to an athlete who doesn't achieve what they set out to? Um, I think it's really important. We are so outcome-driven and focused that we lose sight of the process to, to get to that point. I think it's important that you reflect and you look and you analyse as to where you possibly didn't meet the benchmarks to get to your ultimate result. And you need to savor in the feeling of how you feel, but you shouldn't dwell on it and wallow in it. You should look at that process that you got to get there and you need to celebrate that at some mm. point. I think now with swimming um, and some of our sports where they're, they're selected quite late, you know, three, four weeks before the Games, you, you go straight into games moment that you don't take that time to reflect of getting there, which yes. in most cases is way harder than the Olympics. So if you come back and you, you're sitting there and you didn't achieve what you wanted to do, you did achieve what you wanted to do. You just didn't surpass what you wanted to do probably. Mm. And that was do that best time or go further in the tournament, whatever it may be. So I think you you can be disappointed and wallow and angry and, but there comes a point you've got to stop. Mm. That day has got to come and then you've got to reflect and then move on. Such an eloquent way of, of putting it because you, you do. You need to have the moment to process it, but you also need to acknowledge the achievement in itself. Like just to make an Olympic Games is, is a huge, huge achievement for so many athletes. The dream of going to an Olympic Games just never comes. And they would give yeah. anything to, to be on that team, to be on that plane. And, you know, there you are there. Well, I can tell you now, post Tokyo, there's only there's been less than four thousand three hundred Australians to represent the country at the Olympics. Yeah, and you need to celebrate that. Yeah, I mean it's it's an incredible thing. But that but that that again comes back to that that intense mentality where it's like it's not just about making the team; it becomes about getting a gold medal. Usually, <laughs> usually it goes from "cool, made the team" to "let's go to the top <laughs> of the pile." That would be ideal. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 I get that, and that if you didn't have that, then you, in a lot of cases, you wouldn't get just to the qualifying for the team. I, I guess now, you know, a couple of decades removed, I've come to realise that it's more than just about winning a gold medal. Um, in my role, I get to engage with a lot of our alumni and the pride, you know, they're in their sixties and seventies, and the pride that they still have for being an Olympian it's far greater than the result that they achieved and in some cases they're multiple medalists, right? For them, it's the fact that they're part of this small group and, like I said before, that can't be taken away. Um, and so the medals are, are fantastic, but it's more that symbolism of what you achieved. Mm. Because that kind of leads quite nicely, I think, into into this final question where what are you looking forward to in the, in the coming years? Because you mentioned that you're not aiming to, like, maybe run a company, what, what are you looking forward to in the next few years? What do you want to own? Um, well, I want COVID to freaking end, I'll tell you that much. That would be ideal, um, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, listen, I feel like I just want to continue to, to grow personally and, and, and professionally. I think it's very easy as you get older 
to get comfortable. And so I don't want to get to a point where I'm too comfortable that I just sort of glide through life discontent. I think that I need to continue to challenge myself and find ways in which I can challenge myself. I don't know what that is in this point in time, but I think that's that's a big thing. You know, my 50th birthday is not too far away, so... I mean, it's a few years. Don't yeah, I was going to say, I only like 46. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, I'm closer to 50 than I am 45, right? True, so true. It takes a long time to organise a party. So, <laughs> About four years uh, in COVID terms. <laughs> yeah. So, that, yeah, so just to challenge myself and continue to grow personally and professionally. I know that's a bit of a cop-out because it's not anything specific, but mm. um, I'll, I'll come back and let you know what that is. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll drop you a note on your Insta. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do that. We'll we'll follow up when you turn 50. We'll see how you go. <laughs> um, just to finish off with, the because um, I said that was the last one. This is not the last one. This is the last question, I swear. Um, the, so the Olympics, Paralympics have been, there are going to be a number of athletes deciding to retire um, in the in the coming months or maybe already knew that they were going to retire before these Olympics were meant to start last year um, and have pushed on through. What would your advice be um, for for handling that transition? What What's your kind of takeaway advice for, for those athletes? Um, you can almost guarantee that a, a lot of them, a large number of them, at some point in time would have come across someone who gave them a business card, gave them an email address, who uttered the words, Drop me a note. I'm happy to help. Or I'll explore how I can help you. Use those contacts. Use that network. I can guarantee you they are going to be blown away and shocked that you remembered that and you contacted them and just continue to work those relationships and those networks and know that the network of support that you have around you, whether it be through your AWE manager, uh, through your national sporting organization, through the AOC, through Paralympics Australia, there's programs, there's opportunities in place. We are literally waiting for your call mm. and we want to help. It's it's there. But the hardest part is initiating it, starting it, picking up the phone, sending the email. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, nip it in the bud and just do it. And and that's the thing, right? It, that's it. I've found it definitely in the last few years um, with anxiety. Like you just you just have to do it. Like sometimes just getting rid of it. Will, yeah, feeling the anxiety, feel feeling the fear. But just doing it anyway and just making that phone call. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're a millennial, sending an email or a text. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you're comfortable with, but ideally making a phone call. <laughs> yeah. You know, don't have your number on private because no one will answer it. No one <laughs> answers it. Don't leave a voicemail. I will not listen to it. <laughs> Send me a text. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good to know. <laughs> Send me a text, Dan. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for, for your time. I know you're, you're super busy at the moment and I love the work that you're doing with athletes and, and their wellbeing and especially, you know, moving into that transition. It's something that I really admire. As I said at the beginning, I admired you as an athlete, but I think the work that you're doing now is just remarkable. So thank you on behalf of all retiring athletes and athletes in general. And thank you. I get to return the compliments and I feel like a proud older brother having seen you progress and and you're so public with your journey and your challenges. And and for me, that is so commendable and brave for normalising a lot of things and you should be proud of what you're doing too. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to today's episode with Dan. He is honestly one of the nicest people you will ever meet in your life, exactly as he comes across, just so grounded and remarkable in what he's been able to achieve in the sport but I think the impact that he's making in the mental health space particularly of athletes is something to really be admired so thank you for listening and if you want to hear from a particular retired athlete make sure you let me know at all that glitters pod get into my dms otherwise please like subscribe rate review tell people otherwise I'll talk to you soon bye